You are listening to Porique, a podcast about Puerto Rico and Puerto Rican stories. I'm your host, Caroline Gomez. In today's episode, I am joined by Cristian Aviles, producer in front of the pod. Talk about feeling Puerto Rican, growing up in El Ario Oeste, how Walgreens has gentrified our towns, and growing up hooked on American TV and pop culture. We also discuss important questions such as should Starbucks be in Puerto Rico and more. I'm sitting here with Christian Avile, the producer for the podcast. He has been helping me so much with everything, with keeping me accountable, with organizing. Have not. You have really not. have. <laughs> no, stop, stop. I haven't. I just... I believe in this project. So I'm just here as basically an MC, not a producer. I, I love that though. I just want you to share a little bit about who you are too. I want people to be able to put a face to us and why we really believe in this and in the power of storytelling as a way of healing and learning about ourselves as people and our value in this world. So if you want to just give us like a little background story on you, that would be great. I, like Caroline, also grew up in Puerto Rico. We, I grew up in this town called Aguada, which is the most Catholic town in Puerto Rico. It's a very weird place. I, I like to think of it as a Pawnee of Puerto Rico because it's just, <laughs> so, it's just so weird. And honestly, everybody knows each other. And it's like this little mountainous haven where the old ways are still available for anybody to enjoy. And not a lot of urbanization has happened in like that's true years. there's like a lot so of barrios there there's a lot of barrios there's so colmados there's not a lot of like subways other though i think there's like two subways which it's like how you i guess measure whether a town in puerto rico has made it or not and we don't have a walgreens because we have a lot of <laughs> local pharmacies and they've tried to make a Walgreens in Aguada. That's really a great point, though. And Aguadilla, yeah, there's like three, right? There's the, like three in Aguadilla, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like usually in Puerto Rico, like once you know like gentrification and like, I can't even think about what the word is. Like, I think gentrification like US, like development. US, like U.S. enterprises that come to Puerto Rico to close like local businesses usually are like Walmart, Walgreens, IHOP, whatever. I don't think there's an IHOP in Puerto Rico. Maybe in the area metro, I think. I anyway, think the area metro has at least more Starbucks than it needs. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, which is crazy because like Puerto Rican <laughs> coffee is way better than Starbucks will ever be. Like honestly, you can go to El Mesón and have a way better latte for like a dollar twenty nine than you would have God, at like at like fucking Starbucks. And honestly, the Starbucks they make like beans roasted in Puerto Rico, whatever, but there's trash. But <laughs> so I grew up. So I grew up in Aguada, and it's sort of like nothing has ever compared to it. It's like a really special place in my mind. Um, I grew really up walking. Is. I grew up walking to from. I I went to public school in Puerto Rico, and I would walk home after after school. And I remember like having to like go up and down mountains in order to make it home. And honestly, I really miss the mountains of Puerto Rico and that all that topography was just like unlike anything I've been at least in the states. I don't. I've never been into a very mountainous area. Although I visited San 
Francisco and it's similar, but there's there's not enough nature. And honestly, like that's what I think as a Puerto Rican person, like why narrative is important is because we also grow up in a really interesting way because we have this intersection, especially those that don't grow up in San Juan of like nature Absolutely. and like development. Like we basically, we can like on your way back home, you can find fruits, fruits like that have fallen from a tree and you can pick them up and eat them as you walk home. And That's there's so like, true. there's always a jaguar or like uh, a cow like grazing in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> has like amarra, like just no. like. <laughs> I remember that was a question when I took my exam for my driving's exam. It was like, what happens? You run into a cow. It's coming right yes, out. Like you Puerto crash Rico. against it. Puerto Rico is really rural. Like there's always there's still this like relationship to like honestly, I remember when I was teaching um in Puerto Rico for like a little year and I found these kids. I was a computer class and then we spent the computer class going on clasificados online or clasificados PR and they were looking for jaguars basically are like female horses. And like a lot of Puerto Rican, like especially the patriarchy, they invest their money on animals. So like they'll buy like horses or they buy cows or whatever. And like, it's just like having an animal that will give you milk or will give you like transportation. It's like something that people value, especially in Aguala where I'm from. It's no, still the consciousness, like- definitely. Like my dad still has horses, chickens. Yeah, and so I grew up with all of that. I grew up with chickens. I grew up what I think is like a really idyllic life. And I remember when I, and this is not related, but I went to France m- many times when I was, many times when I was um, like five, six years ago, I would go every summer. And I remember like being in Normandy and being like, oh my God, like there's these people have a relationship with animals and there's always like all these farms and people make all these products out of it. And honestly, Puerto Ricans have always had the relationship as well. And I, I was idolizing French people making like farm cheese and all these things. And then I realized, wait, like my ancestors also have done the same thing and did it with like things that were available. And so like, as you know, I guess why narratives are important is that, you know, I think a lot of people see Puerto Rico as a place to vacation. They see it as a you know, a place where there's like music and fun people, etc. But it's also like a really beautiful and ecological place to grow up in, especially if you grew up in, in a smaller town where like you get to experience so much kindness and community. And honestly, like when I'm here in in the States, now that I'm in New York, I sometimes miss that. The fact that I could go up somewhere and be like, hey, can you please give me some sugar? I, I need to make coffee for these two people that just came to my house. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like usually somebody would do that. Here I'm t- terrified of doing it. I'm sure some people would say yes, but there's this really different thing that happens when you're in Puerto Rico. It's just, it's like a state of mind. It's honestly like the place that has made me into the person I am. And I have a lot, always a lot of people that are like, why are you so kind and why you share so much? And I'm like, what are you trying to say? Like, is, is this like really that uncommon? And then I think of like of my family in Puerto Rico and how people share so much there, which is not like one, sometimes not as much as it is here. And even though it's in this, like we still and we have U.S. capitalism, we have all these things. We also have this other part that is really distinct and and you can see that like in political movements, you know, like what Ricky Rosselló was like basically had to resign the El Pueblo Entero, like the whole, everybody basically fought for that in order to like they different factions, religious, conservatives, queer people, everybody got together and we're like, we need this man out. 
and honestly like that to me is a really puerto rican thing like of like people coming together and sometimes in like a way to like unify the country etc honestly so- i was so shocked when that happened though i really didn't that summer right before it happened i had a visit from a friend who was very involved in the student activism movements political movements and I asked him, like, hey, what's going on over there? What's going on with the left and you guys? Like, is anything cooking? Like, are you guys, like, really mobilizing? And even, it was, like, months before it happened, and he told me, we're really tired. We're just trying to survive now. After the hurricane things, Puerto Ricans on the island are not the same people. After they lied to them about their deaths, about the resources like they left people hungry on the streets there were earthquakes this year and people are still on the streets and we saw that last summer i honestly the fomo i had killed i was so i was so upset that i was here i was like (laughs) so salty i was i was like what the fuck have i done to my life like why (laughs) am i taking this left turn and why am i in fucking the u.s like this horrible colonial place like why why should i not be fighting with my people honestly i really thought i was like really now guys like i would have stayed for this exactly because i was like i've always was waiting for that moment and and honestly like with anything like i was you know puerto rico has become more queer and like you know i left puerto rico because i felt like it was impossible for me to be a queer person there so i even now it's like i see so much change and it's sort of like happened rapidly like so rapidly like from like really like one generation to the next like 10 years like in the past 10 years puerto rico has changed so much and i basically left puerto rico in 2010 for good like I went to UT Austin and I did all my schooling here and I worked primarily How old here. were you? Sorry. When I left Puerto Rico for good, yeah. I was 20 or 20. I mean, I was of drinking age, so I got to experience some of that like adult Puerto Rican life. But honestly, I never had enough of it. I, you know, it was hard because I think the being queer and being in Puerto Rico, especially with the type of family I come from, wasn't necessarily easy. And I was like, going on grinder and doing all these things that were just not leading to what I wanted. And I was just not, it's not that I was being colonized or anything like that. I just needed to escape. No, and I now totally like, get that. And now I'm like, man, I should have stayed, right? Like I should have stayed because like things got better in a sense. Like, or if they haven't gotten better, being Puerto Rican makes you able, especially being a Puerto Rican in Puerto Rico makes you able to surpass and like, withstand so many things and like honestly the amount of resilience i've witnessed from my family and friends and just like people that you read about in puerto rico since hurricane maria has like truly been insane because i'm like i need that wisdom right and even though that wisdom comes from like so much oppression and so much like neglect i'm like fuck like that would have made me like a stronger person because like and so, like, when these things have, were happening, I was like, fuck, I really wanted to be there. And I honestly thought about it. I was like, should I go? Like, but I, I was also. So too. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, honestly, I was like, well, no, because, like, I was also trying to, like, I was in a master's program and doing all these things. 
you know, like I think patriotism can be problematic, but I think in Puerto Rico is it's different. I don't even know how to describe it, but it doesn't come necessarily from like we want to protect our constitution or anything like that. It's just like no. we just want to protect our people. Yeah, like, we just want to belong. Like, we haven't ever really belonged to ourselves. And I think that our identity, our nationality, really like our feelings about the island, not only as a physical place, but really like a place that is a state of your mind. Because you, there are so many Puerto Ricans that grew up here that have never experienced the island in person, but carry it in their hearts and in their lives with a lot of pride and joy. And really like I, after the hurricane, like I really thought like we are all we have. And I think that that is a big big and powerful thing to acknowledge like we have to look out for each other and care about each other and really fight for each other uh, i was gonna say that i had this u.s history teacher and this at the school i went to was uh, elayo tirado lopez and basically he was like in this class we're not learning nothing about the u.s constitution we're learning about like how puerto rican has have been fucked by the u.s government and honestly like wow that is like revolutionary <laughs> in school though <laughs> yeah, no no that class is a hot mess and i remember like like when i went to the u.s they're like oh you took u.s history great we can transfer your credits and i was like please put me in u.s history because i don't know nothing about the u.s constitution i'm gonna fail like but like i basically learned about like la operacion and all these things that like you know has happened to our people over time and As this state has used its like colonial force basically to oppress and also control Puerto Ricans. And so like when I saw Puerto Ricans rise up last summer and just like say, fuck this no more, I was honestly so proud because it didn't happen like it was so it didn't happen like it was that plan. It was honestly like people just woke up at the same time. And honestly, it was just like. It just everybody was like, fuck this, we have to like fight. And, like out of, out of nowhere, there was this mass movement and and just seeing my cousins talk about like how they felt being in this and me. Well, that was the first time that they really had receipts also. That's a, that was after Telegram Gate, was it? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It was like the receipts were so great because they they just showed what people already knew. Yeah, I like, confirmed it for them for sure. And honestly, so many receipts have been withheld from Puerto Ricans for such a long time. And usually are found so many. out like later, decades after, even with La Operacion, like talk, talking about like today is um, like in the 60s, like there's like anniversary of the birth control pill, like and like basically the birth control pill would not have happened if it weren't for Puerto Rican women. And yeah. The fact that like, our women had to go through so much in order to like this right that we like women have now. Like, it's just insane to me. Like, and I think about like our contributions and the sacrifice. Yeah. And so like, I, I honestly just was so shocked when it happened and just felt like I needed to be there. But the only thing I could do here was just like, like say to my friends, this is important. Like, and honestly, like every time, even since Maria, I've always noticed that every time I try to bring a Puerto Rican thing, Puerto Rican subject, a lot of people just get quiet. And they just don't seem to know how to react, especially if they're not Puerto Rican themselves. They're just like, there is this like separation where they don't, I don't know. Do you, have you gotten that? Like where you feel like you're speaking to people about issues that affect us and they just have othered us so much. Like they, Puerto Ricans have been othered in the imaginary 
political imaginary, the social imaginary so much that we, like other Americans, won't necessarily be like as responsive to it. Like even when Hurricane Maria was happening and I was saying like, this is a genocide. Like honestly, it was a fucking genocide. And I would be like saying that and posting these statuses on Facebook. And, and me, I was just so angry at that time. And I just was like telling my, my friends that were all complicit because then they were like, what can we do? But honestly, I was like, can y'all just fucking share my post? Because like, that's the least you could do. But like why Americans sometimes felt like, like I was like involved with them in something that they were not. So honestly, when I speak about Puerto Rico, I now I'm just trying not to even speak about it. I'd rather just speak about it to other Puerto Ricans because. I mean, but hard. I think we should try to keep talking about it. Like I remember when the hurricane happened, I was here and I, I didn't know how to handle it either. I was just. I was so angry. Crushed. I was like crying one hour, angry the other moment and just feeling like this U.S. citizenship that I had was a fucking piece of shit. It was like, it was worth nothing. It was (laughs) really I was like, what the? I was like, what the fuck is this ghetto-ass country? Like, I was really upset because I was like... Those moments when, like, they... Like, we couldn't have any contact with anyone. We couldn't talk with anyone. Like, those days were just the most grueling thing. And no one cared here. They wouldn't even put it in the news, really. No, they were not in the news. I mean, if it weren't for David Benio, like, honestly, like, people wouldn't know as much if he hadn't taken the cause of, like, really documenting what's going on. He, David Benio is a patron saint of Puerto Rico. But no, like, I remember just, like, sitting and telling people, like, they were like, is your family okay? And I was like, what do you mean? I can't even fucking talk to them. And I was on this app. Did you hear about this app? It was like a walkie-talkie app. I forget what it was. Oh, my God. I can't believe I've forgotten. It was like, like this app and people were like, be like all the pueblos were like divided. And I was in the Aguada group all the time. And people would be like, um, um, estoy aquí verificando en el barrio oh Malpaso, en yeah. Savannah, a ver si quien está vivo. And like, honestly, there was no communication because all those, like literally all the towers were down, were broken, were down. Yeah. they were broken. So like, it was impossible. But I, I mean, I remember that I got news from my family through a radio, like old times, <laughs> you know, like there was really, I got a call from someone who transmitted a call from a, ra- a satellite radio. Wow to the Dominican Republic who then I think contacted Florida or something like that. It was like See, something like that really was, particular and crazy. This is not so insane. Like, and I'm not going to say like, you know, I know Puerto Rico is an island. I know that like, like we don't have like subterranean electricity. We still have lampposts and with hurricanes, there are a lot, we have a lot of outdated technology. I understand all of that. But honestly, that's just what's happening. It just sort of like highlighted so many things that were wrong. With like the local government and also the federal government with Puerto Rico and and I just remember seeing like how Americans would just like eat their lunch and laugh and make jokes and I honestly couldn't like with I my colleagues they were I was truly so down and honestly didn't work for like two or three weeks like I was just sitting and then I was just like procrastinating because I was like nothing matters and my partner I had at the time I was just like trying to convey to him like what was going on and he honestly didn't care and that like fucked me up because i was like honestly like nobody cares only puerto ricans care and like if people cared more about puerto rico i feel like they would have 
said something or fought for us or there were been more protests. And it was the diaspora was the one that's like basically voicing this and eventually people joined, but it was such a dark time. And I honestly, for the first time, resented really being, having the U.S. citizenship because I felt like it was a curse almost. I didn't, didn't understand how... Where the privilege like, laid. Well, yeah, and I felt horrible about... I was like, oh my God, I'm here. The yeah. Survivor's Guild was crazy as well. Like, I remember walking into, like, a Dwayne Reed on my lunch break or something like that and, like, being like, oh, I'm going to get a Perrier, but then, like, bursting out crying, like, what the hell are you doing? Just thinking that you're going to get some Perrier when, like, you don't even know if your family is boiling dirty water to drink after the hurricane. It was a really shocking contrast. Like, Yeah, it was like... We're it was, all it, traumatized from it, for sure. I mean, I and I will never say that it was worse than, like, what people actually went through in Maria over there, because honestly, like... No, can't even I just, imagine. I can't I even can. imagine what people went through, but honestly like i knew as it was happening i knew because because you know trump was in office i knew that it would not be handled well and that was my biggest worry because like honestly like i I just i just deep down i knew this could easily be worse and as i was like watching everything i just remember being like i was like in this sort of weird episode of twilight zone i was like what the fuck is happening and I remember we were bracing for it. Like at the weekend before it happened, I had friends visiting that then traveled to the island. At first we were like, our first instinct was to be almost like dismissive. Like, Oh, you know, hurricanes happen. It's going to be fine. But then when we saw the devastation that Maria had already left on all the other islands, they had touched before making contact with Puerto Rico. Like, the knot in my stomach didn't release until like the moment that my mom was able to start calling me from sitting in Aguadi Young and Kmart. That's because they have Wi Fi. Uh, yeah, it was not easy. I remember like how they got internet. It was like I think it was I think it was because of AT and T or T Mobile. One of the Claro, no, no fue claro. It was, it was, maybe it was Claro. Like it was like one in, one person in my family had that service. And then every, everybody eventually tried to get that service because they were like, well, we can't depend on any other ones. But one thing I did to kind of cope through this was making memes. I was making memes every day. And they were like, fire. They were, <laughs> so stu- they were so stupid, but I just feel like I really felt like I was literally having a breakdown. And honestly, like my life changed because of Maria. Like I had to leave my... I left my partner at the time. Like I was like, no, I can't do this no more. Like this is not sitting well with my spirit. I was like, I, can't, I have to leave the city. I'm, I was in. I left New Orleans and moved to New York eventually. But like I was like, I can't live this life anymore because it was sort of like at that moment when this was happening, no one cared enough. Like no one that was close to me cared what was happening to my people and how I saw it was like then they don't care about me because this is the most important thing. Like it wasn't just even just my family because I knew my family would be okay, honestly. But I knew that there's so many other families that were were worse off economically that would like be more devastated by it. People don't even understand. Like I feel like they see like Americans on the mainland and in other countries, like they really do 
see Puerto Rico as like the island tropical paradise to this day. Well, yeah, and like honestly, like there were some my my aunt. Mom, there's a school in uh, she has a school in Añasco, and like there were these. She said that she went to this little cafe place once things started to open, and they only had coffee because they they and maybe some like sorullos, like they didn't have a lot to serve because honestly, like it was also impossible to find any sort of food because every everything was just stuck. Like it was impossible to get anything shipped anywhere, and people rations were low. But she thought she encountered this American couple. And by American, I mean like, you know, like white American couple that had moved to Puerto Rico in the past year. And she said that she talked to them and she was, they were like, how you, do you guys have any, any family, anything? And they were like, honestly, we haven't even been able to call, but we just needed to get out of the house because we, we wanted to get coffee and we're running out of food. And my, and my aunt was like, felt really bad for them. And I was, she was like, well, I'll give you my phone. You can call, you know, for like, I'll give you my phone for an hour. I'm going to be in the area. And I just remember thinking like, even like, wow, like, even though these people were not from Puerto Rico, they were basically living as Puerto Ricans now. And like, even though they were white themselves at that moment, it didn't matter any, and nothing mattered because you were in Puerto Rico, the island, like the U.S. state they could not necessarily serve the American citizens there. So it was like anybody from Puerto Rican descent or not were struggling in the same way, if not even worse, because like, can you imagine like living there without having a network? Like I just couldn't imagine not having family yeah, and having gone through this. Cause like, if anything, like my family would do something like they would only have one meal a day and they would, the whole vecindario, like everybody would basically bring together to eat only once a day because they have to ration and like honestly like i've never experienced anything remotely close to that except maybe Mm -hmm. like i did ration a little bit during covid but honestly it wasn't that bad like like people in puerto rico are rationing water because they were getting sick from the water and dying because of the water was dirty and, and no and then the government the local government was just lying about everything about the facts yeah, oh my and God. the figures Every, everybody was lying and honestly the people knew they were lying because i remember my cousin was like yeah i just heard that there was like this central envejeciente all these old people died and they just had to like bury them and i was like shit that's not on the news like and it wasn't on the news because like nothing was on the news honestly like i was just like this is just so crazy so crazy and like it wasn't until like journalists were actually on foot chronicling stories and showing people the devastation showing what was happening like if we didn't have that chance and that wasn't opening up like the current government would have gotten away with so much thankfully like you know people are documenting people knew that this was an important story but yeah like as like a puerto rican being here that was a really formative experience and i didn't even go through it personally like i still can't believe maria happened like i but it had a deep effect in me because so many things changed for me after even the way that i like invite people into my life like i have i need them to know it's like (laughs) will you support puerto ricans because like honestly like that's important too like we are just as americans to other people and yeah that's people need to fight but you know, you, I feel like we've just gone through a big tangent, but you asked about, <laughs> about what is my story? Well, like, 
the thing is like that is my story like basically i felt like i kind of like ate this really colonial narrative for a long time where i like i read disney i was into disney shit and like nickelodeon and all yeah. this shit i consumed i definitely i grew up on american pop culture i learned yeah, english so I. watching tv so did i yeah it was my way to fit in to fit in at school when like my parents, like my mom was working full time. So she wasn't able to drive me and take me places. Like I didn't get after school hangouts with my friends. So I had to catch up with everything via TV. So did I, I watched a lot of TV, insanely amount of TV. Yeah. Honestly, um, and I, when I was in school, like once I became, I realized that I, could scam my parents by lazily saving all of my lunch money and there was three video stores in this in the town that my school was Guadalano, and all of the three video stores would let me rent and i was like literally consuming so many things that were inappropriate for my age but because i was such a massive consumer of media i needed to like watch all the new movies yeah i needed to always be in always watch everything because honestly dial-up was too slow so like we still needed to rent stuff but yeah i yeah i learned a lot about i guess what i thought u.s culture was from all this stuff and i feel like that's where a lot of puerto Ricans, especially from our generation grew up with because they there's like all this like satellite dishes are so common in puerto rico even remember like when people would get the, the pirateado like they would like get the the Dish Network and the DirecTV with the fake ID card that they would put in and they had all access to all the channels. Do you remember that? Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's, that's tradition. <laughs> so like we would get all, all, the, all the great access to all of the country, basically. Yeah. And we might we remember we had ABC, NBC, but it was like the... ABC the Family. Thing. I that remember was, that's where I watched uh, S Club 7. <laughs> My mom would have always would always watch the six o'clock news from from ABC New York, and it would be like live from Jamaica Queens. And I honestly was like, "What the hell is this?" I was like, "Wow, that's Why? wild!" I only associate <laughs> I was, that with staying at a hotel here. <laughs> <laughs> and I would always be like, "Why are you watching stuff from Jamaica Queens?" And honestly, like even as like when I moved to New York, it felt so like familiar. I think because we had all access to all the local channels because for whatever reason we Puerto Rico didn't get local ABC and NBC until like late 2000s I feel like it was when they we got it like we had our own ABC Puerto Rico we had our own NBC Puerto Rico and all of that we had basically the only way you can get that programming was through this like it was like LA or New York package you would get from DirecTV or Dish Network anyway like as like a consumer of pop culture, like that's what you do. And I just remember idolizing this place. And I think when I moved here, when I was 16, we, my parents, you know, took us to Houston and to the suburb of Houston. Well, not a suburb, but it's this town called Katy, Texas. And I remember just like feeling happy that I was there because I was like, I get to speak English. And I honestly was so obsessed with speaking English. I was like, oh my God, I've been working on my accent. I remember just like, I would like, watch movies and i would memorize them and try to repeat and make my accent sound like the movie wow like the parent trap like i remember i i watched that movie like literally like a hundred times or more and i would know I love that, that movie. movie and i would repeat it like i would repeat it and like 
I would like practice so much my accent. And that's not uncommon, right? But like a lot of Puerto Ricans go to private school, especially English speaking private schools. I didn't have that. So for me, the only way I could was like through reading. Oh my God, I read also so much. Yeah, I love that. I love reading. So I was always like, I was always like making sure that my English teacher gave me the neutral, the troll subscription so I can get some like cheap books from from all the lunch money I would save and always all of that. But yes, like, I feel like when I came here, I was like, I had gone through this process of a colonization and I just didn't want anything to do with Puerto Rico in a way. I was like, oh, I'm going to, eventually I realized that I didn't like it here enough. And then I was like, oh, I want to like go to France. I'm all about being French and a French pastry and blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm going to speak French, which I I love that. I think you should talk about that. About being French? Well, like, I think that for me, um, I didn't really fully feel Puerto Rican until I moved here. Like, truly, when you're there on the island, you are just such a part of everything. I, For me, like, growing up there, it was just, like, again, like, moving in the world through bubbles. Like, the bubbles of, like, my my school. I only had 60 students in my whole class that I knew and grew up with. And then it was, like, La Yubi. And that is really like also when I started to becoming like more politicized, like more questioning my family's like political perspectives and views. And then like after moving here, I thought I was done too. I felt haunted there. Like I didn't really have anywhere to go. I couldn't grow. I felt stifled. And then coming here, I was like, wow, I really do need community. I need the familiarity and the comforts of the sounds. And like, you're here and I swear it's like someone here you see you talk in Spanish or in English. It doesn't matter how much you think you don't have an accent. A Puerto Rican will find you. They will find your accent. Even like in the randomest places. So like, I think like that kind of disdain for our culture that we kind of, like, it's about the project of assimilation, right? Like, we yeah. we want more than the 100 by 35 that we're submitted to. So we move to the mainland because there's mobility for us because of our citizenship. So there we look to expand. And then you're out there and you see that, wow, I didn't really have it that bad. Well, of course. Like, you know, like, how could you have it so bad? You grew up in one of the most beautiful and kind places even though like whatever like the puerto rican government's its own thing puerto rican police its own thing all the local administrations are their own thing but that's not necessarily representative of puerto rican people and i think when you come here and you have gone through whatever thing that made you want to escape you you are trying to remove a big part of yourself and i think that i try to do that like i try to do that when you know, I met this like French guy and like try to like be all about being French and like I wouldn't go back to Puerto Rico and said I would spend the summers in France, which was really nice. And honestly, I thought I was living the life or whatever it was. I that was truly probably the most enjoyable part of the whole relationship was going through to France, but like everything else was pretty traumatic for me. And I just remember being like well at least i'll get to be french or 
I'll get to be American, whatever, like I, whatever I was feeling at the time. And I, and, and it wasn't really, I guess, on, until I went back to Puerto Rico two years ago in 2018 was when everything changed, but I had never been in Puerto Rico for a long time. I usually would spend maybe a week or two. And that time I spent a month and more. And I remember that when my, my ticket was about to go up, I did not want to go back because I just felt like for the first time, it was like I was so downtrodden and so emotionally disturbed that I felt like I went to Puerto Rico and like Puerto Rico knew I, need, I, needed, like I needed to come back. Or like whether it was mentally, physically, spiritually, I needed to be Puerto Rican again because that's what I am. And I remember like we were basically going to Ponce and we, had, we took the road from Mañagüez with my, my, my little niece and my sister-in-law, I never had noticed that Puerto Rico had mountains. Even though I knew there were mountains, I saw like all the Cordillera and I was like, I started crying. I was like, what is this place? These mountains are so beautiful. I was like, and I told my cousin, I was like, when I see the mountains, I see God. But honestly, like, there's something so like important about that place, like in the actual land. Like I'm not talking just about the people, like, Puerto, Puerto Rico in, sen, in itself, there's this like weird, like beautiful, insane energy that I just get from like the smell of like, it has this like really particular like clay smell and like all these things. And I'm just like, as I was in that trip, I remember just being like afraid to go back. I didn't want to go back to New Orleans. I didn't want to go back to my partner. And I, I just, I was felt so safe. And it was because I was like, basically Puerto Rico was healing me and telling me all these things I needed. And I just, I, after that, I truly felt Puerto Rican, but it took me eight years to go through that eight years of like being lost and figuring all these things. And then one day just spend enough time back home and allowing myself to be barefoot and walk from house to house until the the asphalt would stain my feet black and it's just like just like things that I would just normally do that were innate in me that I just grew up doing like I would like oh it was mango season I remember like it was like I hadn't eaten eaten mango for eight years and it was like my ancestors knew or something and they were like like they're like literally eat all of the mangoes you can I literally ate one time a, a bag of mangoes it was like and then for whatever reason, after Maria, the year, that was a year after Maria, the, there was like a lot of passion fruits everywhere. And even when I was younger, like passion fruits were available, but they were kind of rare. Like they wouldn't, it would not everybody had them, but apparently somebody, their vines were just exploding. And I just and never in my life had, I had missed passion fruit so much. Like I remember I would go to Whole Foods and buy a passion fruit for four or $5 each passion fruit. And honestly, one time I spent $100 on passion fruits because I wanted so much of them. And I would just miss that a part of, you know, that to me, that's Puerto Rico too. Like, like what you ate growing up. Like I haven't, I was not even making sofrito in my house. Like that's how, you know, I was so colonized. Like I did not buy culantro. Like I, (laughs) there was no adobo in my house because like, that's how, you know, things were so low for me. Like I'm sure Caroline, like you have, you have always adobo or sazon in your house, right? Like, always. But see, Since I, the moment I, I moved, I moved here. I think I probably had it in my in my suitcase. Well, see, like I was not even buying that, and I could easily source it. 
I was truly so like anti Puerto Rico, but not 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 consciously, but subconsciously. It was like, and it wasn't like even Puerto Rico that was that bad to me. Like, yeah, being queer generally sucks in the U.S., especially if you grow up in a conservative family or in Puerto Rico. But there were so many good things that I was literally disregarding for no reason, and I think that's that's that that's part of the colonial project, like assimilation and. And sort of like wanting to erase like so many the probably the best parts of yourself. Like I as I look back as I was like going through all these things that's happened in the past two to three years, I remember that there was summer of 2016 and 2017, I was becoming obsessed with buying plants. I had bought a pineapple plant. Um and I had like different pineapple plants. I had avocado plants indoors. Like this is all growing indoors. And I basically had like a, a, a jungle in my apartment. And, I, and I, when I look back on it, I was like, was I trying to recreate Puerto Rico? And I was basically. So like, I just think that eventually, eventually Puerto Rico will find you. And it found me again, thankfully, because honestly, I don't know if I would be alive having I taken that trip because it was what I needed. And I remember like, being able to talk to my family in such a different way, I think because Maria forced everybody to just like be more in the moment. And so I don't know. I, I feel like the whole colonization thing can happen in many ways. And sometimes, you know, we don't realize that by staying with a French person for eight years that has nothing in common with you and has over time isolated you from yourself, from your culture, your family. And then, yeah, I did this to myself as well, but like, these things happen, right? And yeah, being like, I would never not want to be Puerto Rican. Yes, it's more than just a U.S. citizenship. It's more than anything. It's just, I don't know. It's just a perfect, and I just, I mean, I don't know if it's a perfect identity, but it's just like what, what, what comes when you love yourself. And then you, to love yourself truly, you have to love where you came from, right? What is it like? There's this saying that it's like, el, el que no ama su patria no quiere su madre. I forget who said this. But, uh, I don't know who said that. I don't remember that. El que no ama su patria no ama su madre. Eh, Jose Martí said this. And honestly, like, oh it's so true. And I think that's why, like, as I move on and we're having this conversation, I just wish, like, you know how, like, Jewish people can get, like, basically go back to, like, get go to Israel and, like, be able to connect? I wish we had this for the diaspora as well. Like, even though it. the... Even though we have this for like everybody, like you can technically go. So many people would feel would feel that sort of like ancestral cloak if they just went back. And I feel that every time I've come back since because you just have to have that connection. Once you turn it on, you always will have it. I love that. That seems like a good place to wrap it up for today. <laughs> That's it for our show this week. If you would like to write to us or send us a voice note, please email us at bq at boriquepod.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at boriquepod. For exclusive content, please check out our website, boriquepod.com. Okay, bye!